It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, there are two things that most of us don't like. Uh, We don't like not knowing what the next step is in our life. Uh, And we don't like to wait for things, especially if they're things that we really want. And one of the reasons that the faith of Abraham and, and Sarah is so impressive to me is because they had faith in God in the midst of these two things that, that most of us really dislike. They had faith that was willing to wander, a faith that was willing to step out even though they didn't know what the next step was. They didn't know what the future held. They had faith that was willing to wait. They were willing to wait a long time for God to fulfill the promise that he gave to them. Now, so far in Hebrews chapter 11, we've seen Abel's faith of worship. We've seen Enoch's uh, faith in his walk. We've seen Noah's faith in his works. And now this morning, we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to see their faith that was willing to wander and wait. And I think this is going to be a great encouragement and maybe even more so a great challenge for you and I this morning, because these are two areas that I think we really struggle with when it comes to our faith. We struggle with a faith that's willing to wander, a faith that is willing to step out even though we don't know what the next step is. When God says go and he only gives us the first step, it's difficult for us to take that if he hasn't given us step two and three and four. We struggle with a faith that's willing to wait, wait for God to do what he promised that he would do. So as we look at the faith of Abraham and Sarah, a faith that was willing to wander and wait, I think it's going to be a good challenge, a good encouragement to us that we would be willing to wander and wait in our faith as well. Now, there are four main things that we're going to look at as we look at the faith of Abraham and Sarah that's willing to wander and wait. First, we're going to see that they lived as pilgrims. Second, they lived by a promise. Third, they lived by patience. And fourth, they lived for permanence. So we're going to look at what Abraham and Sarah lived as, what they lived by, and what they lived for. And I think it's very applicable to us today because these are things that we should live as and by and for as well. We need to live as pilgrims in this world that's not our home. We need to live by the promises of God, by patience in those promises, and we need to live for the permanence of heaven. So let's start by reading the verses that we're going to look at this morning. It's a little longer of a passage than we've been looking at so far in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're actually not looking at everything the author says about Abraham and Sarah. We're going to leave a little more till next week. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16 this morning, which says this. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they are seeking a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. The first thing that the author reveals to us about Abraham and Sarah's faith is that it was a faith that was willing to wander. Notice what he says here in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So the author starts off saying, hey, Abraham's faith, and Sarah as well, because she joined him, you know, their faith was seen in their willingness to obey what God called them to go out of and what God called them to go out to. Now, the author doesn't give us the details just like he didn't give us the details with Abel and Enoch and Noah because he expects that his initial readers would have known this information from the book of Genesis. And so we get the details of what God specifically called Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I think it's important for us to note that, to understand what the author of Hebrews is referencing. And so we're told in verse 1 of Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. When God called Abraham, the, the very first thing that God asks of Abraham is He wants him to leave. He wants him to get out of something. And there's three specific things that God tells Abraham, these are the things that I want you to leave. These are the things that I want you to get out from. First, God tells him, I want you to leave your country. Second, I want you to leave your family. And third, I want you to leave your father's house. And I think it's important to know that all three of these things were negative, sinful influences in Abraham's life. And so don't just conclude that God's always wanting us to, to leave family and to leave different things. What we're going to see here is that these were negative sinful influences and God is wanting them to step away from those things. You see, Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. 
Here's a map where Ur was located. It was in the, the Babylonian kingdom of that time. It's modern-day Iraq today. And archaeology and history reveals to us that it was a, an extremely wealthy city at that time, a very modern city for the time. It had the, the largest schools and libraries of its day. It was a center of math astronomy, commerce, philosophy, people from the outlying areas, they moved to Ur because of all that was happening in this great city of that time. It had one of the biggest populations back in those days as well, worth about a few hundred thousand people. But Ur also was a very pagan city, a city where they worshipped multiple gods. There was a large temple that they unearthed with their archaeological digs. It was dedicated to the worship of the moon god, Nana. So Abraham, he lives in this city full of idolatry, full of idol worship. But you know what? That idolatry was also practiced by his family. Joshua reveals this to us in Joshua 24.2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt in the land, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. He served other gods. And this is why God doesn't just say, Hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave that city. Because that city is a sinful city full of idol worshipers. And you know what? Any of your family you can bring with you. It's like, no, no, no. you got to leave them too. Because they're part of the problem. They're idol worshipers as well. They're ones who, if you spend time with them, will lead you into idolatry. Will lead you away from me. They are an influence for sin in your life. And so the first step that God is encouraging Abraham to take is I want you to get away. I want you to leave these sinful influences in your life and take a step to follow me. That's the first step in Abraham's journey of faith. Leave this idol-worshiping country. Leave your idol-worshiping family. Leave the sinful influences behind and follow me. And I think this is important for you and I to take note of because after we place our faith in Jesus, this is really one of the first steps that God asks us to take. He tells us, you know what, I want you to step away, to leave those influences in your lives, those places that you go to, those things that cause you and encourage you to sin. And all of us were engaged in and doing sinful things, and there were places that we went and people that we did it with. And God just says, you know what? you got to remove yourself from that. Because if you stay in that and you stay with those people, they will draw you back into those things that I'm trying to draw you from. You know, when we accept Jesus, we are a new creation. The Bible says that the old things, the old life has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So when we accept Jesus, He gives us a new life, but something important to understand is to the extent that you leave your old life will determine how much you enjoy of your new one. And this is where I see so many believers where in the new life that they've been given in Christ, they're just not really... Uh, 
blessed by it and encouraged by it and taking advantage of it. Why? Because they're not willing to just sever ties with the old life. They're not willing to rid themselves and get away from the old life. And so really how much you're willing to leave the life that you had before Christ is going to determine how much you really enjoy the life you have with Christ. Now the most difficult part of what Abraham and Sarah do, I don't think it's in what they leave. That's difficult. That's hard. I can imagine leaving family, leaving job, leaving homeland, leaving comforts, leaving this city that had all this going on. That was definitely a very difficult thing to do. But you know what? There was something even more difficult than that. Not in what God asked them to leave, but in what God asked them to go to. Let's read verse 1 again and note this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. And note this to a land that I will show you. Notice that when God calls Abraham to leave the country and the family, he doesn't tell Abraham where he is leaving to. He doesn't give him the information of of where's the next step? Where are we headed? Where's the the destination that we're going to? He just tells Abraham, you know what? It's going to be a land that I'm going to show you. Speaking of the future, I haven't shown you yet. I'm going to ask you to take this first step and just leave. And as you leave and start journeying away from Ur, I will show you where it is that I'm going to take you next. The only step God gives Abram is that first step. He's not going to tell him what the next step is until he's willing to take that first step of faith and follow what God's asking him to do. God's asking Abraham to have a faith that's willing to wander until God gives him that next step. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how long it would take to get there. He didn't know what things would be like when he got there. He didn't know when he got there if that was even the place. There was so much unknown to what God was asking of him. All he knew was that God called him to go and everything else was up in the air. And Abraham and Sarah, they obey, they take that first step of faith, they leave their country, they leave their family, they start wandering, not knowing what the second step is. They don't know what's next. And this is something that is so impressive to me because I think one of the most difficult aspects of faith for us is the fact that sometimes God will do the same thing. He says, here's step one, I want you to obey it. And I'm not going to give you step two until you're willing to step out in faith in step one. But we don't want that. God, God, you want me to to take a step of faith. You want me to leave my family and my country and my comforts and whatever it is. You you want me to do that? That's fine. I just need step two, three, four, five, and six, and, and that'll be fine. As long as you tell me where we're going, what it's going to be like when we get there, how it's going to be like for my family when we arrive, how you're going to take care of us, you know, how everything's going to be, what's the weather, you know, what is it all going to be like? If you tell me all that, then hey, I, I'm on board if I like what those steps tell me, but... Just step one without anything else is a struggle for us. It's a difficult thing for us to do. But you know, that's not how God typically works. I think rarely do we see biblically and also in our own personal experiences of God saying, here's step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and please go. It's like, no, here's step one. Will you obey? 
Will you just step out in faith, trusting me that I know the next steps and that I will reveal them to you in the perfect timing, which is mine. You see, living by faith means accepting God's call without knowing where He's going to lead. And I think it even goes deeper than that. It means following what God calls you no matter where He leads. Because sometimes it's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to take this step of faith and I'm trusting you're going to lead me somewhere that I really want to be. But what if He doesn't? What if He's leading you to something that's quite difficult? Leading you to something that maybe that's perhaps not where you would want to go. Are you still willing to follow? Are you still willing to to take that step saying, no, Lord, wherever you lead, I'm willing to follow because I want to be in your will. You see, we shouldn't follow God only if he leads where we want to be, where we want to go. Really, the, the determining factor for us should be, Lord, I will follow because it's where you want me to be. It's where you want me to go, and that's what's most important to me. Abraham and Sarah, they take this step of faith to do what God calls them to do. They leave their family, they leave their home, they leave their country. They're willing to wander not knowing where they're going. And the reality is, once they gave up their home, once they gave up their culture, and they left, they started living as pilgrims. And that never stopped. They were willing to wander as pilgrims. They were willing to live in tents. They were willing to move from place to place as God led them. So the first thing I want you to note about Abraham and Sarah's faith that's willing to wander and wait is they obeyed God's call and left their country and family and lived as wandering pilgrims not knowing the next step. I think they're a great example to us of the importance of saying, Lord, I'm willing to follow you when you just give me step one. And if I never hear step two, step three, step four, I'm still willing to take that step of faith and trust of you, knowing that you will reveal the next steps. Now, one of the things that I think motivated Abraham and Sarah to be willing to obey, to be willing to step out in faith when all they knew was step number one, is because they did know something else. There was another thing that God revealed to them that I think was a big motivator for why they say, you know what, I will step out in faith and believe this God who's asked me to leave my country and my family and go to a place that he hasn't even told me where it is yet. And that motivator was the promises that God Gave to them. We see this in Hebrews 11:9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Notice that twice the author emphasizes the promises of God that were given to Abraham, and they also extended to his descendants, speaking specifically of Isaac and Jacob, and then it continued on after that. By faith they dwelt in the land of promise, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of whom the same promise. Now here's something interesting to note. We just read Genesis 12.1, but literally right after God calls Abraham, tells him, I want you to leave your country, your family, your father's house, 
and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you in the future. Right after that, in that same conversation, God gives some promises to Abraham, and those promises are in verses 2 and 3, and also in verse 7. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Here's the promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So after God calls Abram to leave his country, leave his family, leave his father's house, he gives basically three main promises to Abraham. The first promise is that he's going to make Abraham a great nation. He's going to bless him and make his name great. The the second promise is that the entire world is going to be blessed through Abraham. This is ultimately speaking of the fact that through Abraham and his descendants comes the Messiah who dies for the sins of the world. And third promise is that God's going to give Abraham's descendants the promised land. Now these are amazing promises. I'm sure promises that help motivate Abraham and Sarah to say, you know what, we're going to step out in faith and we're going to trust this God who promises these wonderful things to us. We're going to obey obey and leave our country and our family and we're going to go to a place that he has yet to reveal to us. Now these amazing promises definitely encourage them to, to take this step of faith even though they don't know what the Second step is, Kent Hughes wrote this, Abraham must have weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father against the divine uh, impossibility of God being able to break his word and decided that since God is God, nothing is impossible. This is kind of a wonderful thing that Abraham and Sarah and you and I have to determine of, you know, the impossibility of what we think, well, how is God ever going to accomplish this? with the impossibility of, well, wait a second, God doesn't lie. If God promised it, he will fulfill it. Now, the author tells us something very important about the promises that God gave to Abraham and Sarah. We saw those three great promises and think, wow, that must have been so wonderful to experience them. But Hebrews eleven thirteen tells us something. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Notice here, Abraham and Sarah, they die in faith, meaning even on their death, they're still believing the promises of God, but notice what we're told, they haven't received those promises yet, and now they've died. Now, they were blessed in their lifetime, if you know the story that they had a miraculous son in their old age, and I'll touch on that a little more a little later in our teaching this morning. But the promise was more than just that they would have a son. That was kind of, well, it has to start that way because God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, you can't make us a great nation until we first have a child. But Abraham and Sarah, they didn't live to see a great nation come through their son Isaac. They didn't get to see all the people that God was going to multiply and and ultimately bring through their descendants. They didn't live to see the world blessed through Abraham 
which was ultimately the blessing of Jesus. They didn't live to see their descendants receive the promised land. You know, they didn't even own some of the promised land themselves. There's only one piece of land that Abraham owned. Sarah never owned anything. And the only time that Abraham had any land in the promised land is he bought this cave in order to bury his wife in. Just a small little portion of the promised land. That's all he ever actually personally owned. Now, when we die, what we own is given. We give that inheritance to our children. Abraham didn't even say, well, you know, I got this portion of the promised land at least that I can give to Isaac. At least there's, there's a portion of it, and I know that he has that much, and I know that maybe God can then you know, expand that to become bigger and bigger. He wasn't able to give any inheritance of the promised land to Isaac. He had to fully believe God is going to do that. I have faith that God is going to give to Isaac what I don't have in my possession to give to my son. So they didn't receive the promises in their lifetime. And that's why we're told that having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And here's another impressive thing about Abraham and Sarah. They believed that God would fulfill what he promised to fulfill after they died. But we haven't seen them personally in our lifetime, but we still believe and we have faith that God's going to do what he promised to do. And these are future things that we believe he will do, even though we're not going to personally see them. And so they were assured of these future promises. They embraced these future promises. And that is something that enabled them to live as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We can live in tents. We can never have a a home. We can never own any portion of this promised land because we have faith. We have an assurance. We've embraced the fact that God in the future is going to give what He promised to give to our descendants. Even though they weren't alive to see it come to pass. You know, promises from God, they're, they're great motivators for us to step out in faith for us to follow what God's calling us to do. But I think we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to still be motivated and step out and obey if some of those promises are not seen in our lifetime? If we don't personally experience some of those things? Are we willing like Abraham and Sarah to say, you know what, I'm willing to live for these promises even if they're future to me. Even if in my life I don't see all of them. You know, I personally know several pastors who were greatly motivated by the promise of the rapture. They wanted to be living by faith. They wanted when the Lord came back to receive His church, that they would say, hey, you know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been living the way you should. They proclaimed it from the pulpit. They lived that life. They were men of integrity, men of character, and they were motivated by the promise of the rapture. And you know what? They're dead. They never experienced that promise. They never got to see the fulfillment of God come back for His church. But you know what? The important thing isn't that they didn't get to experience the promise. The important thing is the promise motivated them to live by faith. Motivated them to live that godly life. And that's the purpose of that promise. That's the benefit of that promise of, hey, even if I don't experience it in this lifetime, if it moves me to live for God then it is still benefit to me. 
You know, you and I should allow the promises of God to motivate us to live by faith, whether or not we ever personally experience all of them or not. We've already experienced many of them. There's many more that we will. But just to be open to say, you know what, Lord, even if some of these things, I don't get to see all of it fulfilled, that's okay. I'm still going to live by faith in you. The second thing I want you to note about Abraham and Sarah's faith and the fact that it was willing to wander and wait is they were motivated to step out in faith because they lived by the promises that God gave them. You know, the Bible is full of amazing promises for you and for me. And these promises, they should do a lot of things for us, but one of the things they should do is just motivate us to be willing to step out in faith and obey the call of God in our lives. God promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to empower and strengthen you. He promises to give wisdom and direction to protect and watch over you, to love you and forgive you, to save you and adopt you. And there are many, many more promises that God gives us in His Word, and we should believe them, we should hold on to them, and we should allow them to motivate us to live a life of faith, to step out in faith and obey what God calls us to do. Now, we all love to receive promises. We all love when those promises are fulfilled in our life, when we experience the benefit and the blessing of those things. But something that I'm sure none of us like is when we have to wait for God to give us a promise. Oh, it's great when it comes, but it's not nice having to wait for it to come. And you know, Abraham and Sarah, that they knew what it was like to have to wait for a promise. They knew what it was like to have to live by faith in what God promised to do for them. We see this in verses 11 to 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. When God first called Abraham and Sarah to leave their country and their family and their father's house, back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. And something that we didn't read about is the real problem that they had. And the problem was that Sarah was barren. And so she was unable to have children. And now they're both older and they have no kids. And the only way for God to fulfill that first promise to make Abraham a great nation is for them to actually have a son. And so when God promises this, He's really promising, hey, I know you're 75 and you're 65, but I am going to give you a son. Now I won't get into all the details, but I just want you to recognize Sarah especially, Abraham as well, would have desperately wanted a child. In that culture, a woman's worth was wrapped up in her ability to bring children to her husband, especially male children, and to be barren was just something that would be a horrible experience for Sarah. They hear this promise. They're desperate for it. 
And I can imagine they want that right away. Is this nine months from now? I'm ready. Come on, I'm 65. I know we're old, but if this is from you, Lord, wonderful. Let's have a baby. One year goes by. Five year goes by. Ten year goes by. They're still waiting. 20 years go by. They're still waiting. It took 25 years for God to fulfill this promise that they were desperate to receive immediately. Imagine how difficult that must have been. Abraham's 100, Sarah is 90 when God finally fulfills the promise and they have Isaac. And this is why the author reveals this thing about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age, way past the age, she's 90, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead, speaking of Abraham, like he's a hundred. I mean, there's no way he's having a kid unless it's supernatural. Therefore, from one man, as him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And today, when you look at all the descendants of Abraham, not just through Isaac, but also through Ishmael, I mean, it is an amazingly huge amount of people on the earth today, hundreds of millions that can connect their lineage back to Abraham. You see, faith comes down to judging, as Sarah did, that God is faithful and able to keep His promises. And that's really the struggle for us, you know, especially as time goes on. And not only were they waiting, but it's just getting worse. It's like, it's impossible for a 65-year-old woman and a 75-year-old man, or maybe you would say, she's barren, how is that ever going to happen? But now, when she's 75, it's like, well, this is even worse. And when she's 85, it's even more difficult. And now she's 90, and it's kind of like, this is, this is never going to be possible. Well, yes, with us it's not, but with God, it is. She judged that God's faithful, and He's able to keep His promise. It enabled her to receive strength to get pregnant at 90 years old. God gave the strength. God's the one who, who enabled that to happen, but she received it through faith. You know, the longer God takes to fulfill the promise, the harder it becomes to continue to have faith that He will. Most of us, we want God to do things in our timing. That's our, our, our natural you know, fallback. Lord, my timing's best. Do it in my time and everything will be great. And typically, especially in our culture, our timing is right now. We don't want to wait. Lord, my time is best and why don't you just fulfill this today? If it's tomorrow, I can wait for that, but, but definitely not the end of the week and not the end of the month. You know, we want it now. But you know what? God often waits to fulfill his promise. And here's the thing that we need to understand. You see, God's timing is perfect. We can say that. We can say, well, we know God's timing is perfect. The Bible says that. But I think oftentimes we don't really believe that. But if we really believe God's timing is perfect, then you know what? It's God's waiting. He's waiting for the perfect time. And so when we keep trying to rush him, like, Lord, no, it needs to happen today, we need to just step back and say, you know what, Lord? Whenever it happens, we know it's going to happen at the perfect time, and we need to be content in just trusting that your timing is perfect. So the third thing I want you to note about Abraham and Sarah's faith that's willing to wander and wait is they continued in faith because they lived by patience 
in the promises of God. You know, an important lesson in the, the life of faith is that God's timing is not ours. And the life of faith often requires us to wait for God to accomplish the things that He's promised to accomplish. And that time of waiting, you know, it can be difficult. It can be discouraging. The longer it goes, the more likely we are to give up. The more likely we are to say, Lord, maybe you need my help to to speed things up. And this is really something that Abraham and Sarah struggled with as well. You know, I love the fact that God is so gracious in the book of Hebrews to Abraham and Sarah, because if this is all you read about them, you wouldn't know how much they struggled in their faith. God just writes about their success in faith, but not their many failures in faith. Look at this wonderful woman of faith, and she just believed God. Well, we don't hear about her laughter, like this laughter of scorn, like, yeah, right, that's ever going to happen. There's no way, look how old I am. She wasn't filled with faith in that. We're not told about the fact that they say, you know what, it's been so long, maybe God needs us to help him out. And so, hey, Abraham, you know what, I have this maidservant, Hagar, why don't you sleep with her? And that's the way we're going to have the child of promise. And they have Ishmael, the child of the flesh. Those 25 years were hard. Waiting that long was so difficult, it tested their faith. It showed that their faith needed to grow. It was a doubt and difficulty and helping God out and struggles. But you know what? In the end, they came to that place where they truly believed. And I love the fact that Hebrews, that's all that God talks about. Here's your success. You're in the hall of faith. And this is all I'm going to record. I'm not even going to record all your failures. They patiently wait sometimes and they don't others. But ultimately what God wants from us, He knows it's hard, He knows it's difficult, He knows that we have those doubts and we try to speed them up. But He's like, just patiently wait for me in faith to fulfill what I promised you. So they live as pilgrims. They live by promise. They live by patience. And one of the things that really helped them to do all of these things is because they lived for permanence. They lived for something beyond this earth. They lived for that permanent home in heaven. We see this in verses 10 and 14 through 16 of Hebrews 11. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Once Abraham and Sarah decided, we're going to take this step of faith. We're going to obey what God has called us to do to leave our country, our home, our family, our friends, everything that's here in Ur, and we're willing to step out and go. For the rest of their lives, they lived as pilgrims. They lived in tents. They never bought a a plot of land to, to live on. They never built a home where they would just stay in one place. And one of the things that enabled them to live as pilgrims 
to not make this earth their home is because they focused on their home in heaven. That's why the author says to us, Abraham waited for the city which foundations and builder is God. Well, the city's here. The foundation and builders are man. He's speaking about heaven. Abraham and Sarah were waiting to settle down in their true home in heaven. But the author also tells us, you know what? If they wanted to settle here on earth, they could have. Truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they had opportunity to return. If they were longing for Ur, oh, that great city, I miss the libraries, I miss you know, the culture, I miss all the people, I miss all the, the pleasures, I miss all the comforts, I miss our home and our family and all that. If they really wanted to go back to Ur, the author is saying, if they called to mind, they could have opportunity to return. They could have left the promised land and they could have journeyed back to Ur. They didn't want to do that anymore because the author tells us they desired a better heavenly country. They lived this life with a heavenly home as their focus. And the author tells us, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for He has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah, they lived for heaven while they were on this earth. And I think that's one of the big things that helped them to live that life of faith, to live that life that was willing to have faith, that was willing to wander and not know what the next step was. Faith that was willing to wait for 25 years, starting to wonder, is God really going to fulfill what he promised to fulfill? David Guzik wrote this. A resident alien or sojourner is evident. The way they talk, the way they dress, their mannerisms, their entertainment, their citizenship, and their friends all speak of their native home. If someone is the same in all these areas as the natives, they're no longer sojourners, they're permanent residents. Christians shouldn't live as if they were permanent residents of planet Earth. You know, this is something that I, I see as just a sad reality that we're seeing more and more in the church today. There should be a clear, distinct difference between Christians and this world. The way we live, the way we talk, what we do, what we watch, what we, you know, how we hang out, all, all this stuff should be very different from the world. And there's kind of this push to just be just like them. And it's like, well, if the world can't determine any difference between us and them, we become natives of the world. We become just like the world, and that's a problem. Because we're not meant to be like the world. We're meant to be set apart from the world. You see, the day that we accept Jesus, our citizenship changes. We're no longer citizens of the earth. We're now citizens of heaven, and we need to live with that reality. We're dual citizens, and the, the one that's most important is our heavenly one. You know, when your citizenship changes, it should change your mindset and the way in which you live. Well, I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen there. I, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I, I represent Him. And so I'm going to live the way that He tells me, not the way that the people here live. It's going to change my mindset. It's going to change my actions. Living by faith is easier when we remember that this world is not our home that this is as bad as it's ever going to get. 
that God has prepared a place that's so much greater and that we're ultimately storing up treasures there, not here. When we, the, the, the quicker we get that, the more that's in our mind, the much easier it is for us to live a life of faith, to live like pilgrims, to recognize this world's not our home. Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a powerful thing I want to read to you. God's the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of Him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven. And it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and proper good the whole work of our lives to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? Heaven is our proper end and our true happiness. That is our true home. That is what we were created to ultimately live in. The Garden of Eden, this perfect sinless place, destroyed from sin. But you know what? We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you and I are going to have a home once again where there's no more sin and sadness and tears and we're going to get to live in heaven. That's our true, proper end. We should be living for that while we're here on this earth. When you live for heaven, it's a whole lot easier to live by faith here on this earth. So the fourth thing I want you to note about Abraham and Sarah's faith that's willing to wander and wait is they lived a life of faith on this earth because they lived for their permanent home in heaven. Like Abraham and Sarah, we need to live as pilgrims in this world where we're willing to obey God even when we don't know what the next step is. Like Abraham and Sarah, we need to live by God's promises because they motivate us to step out in faith. Like Abraham and Sarah, we need to live by patience in the promises of God because it helps us to continue in faith when we're waiting for those promises to come to pass. And we need to live for our permanent home in heaven because it will help us to live by faith here on this earth. God wants us to have a faith like Abraham and Sarah, a faith that's willing to wander and a faith that's willing to wait. And I think we need to just close asking him to help us grow in that kind of faith because as we see in Abraham and Sarah's life, it's hard. There's disappointment and discouragement. There's helping God out. There's, there's all these struggles that come with a life of faith that's willing to wander and wait. And so let's ask the Lord to help us do that. Father, we are so grateful for examples in your word. And we're so grateful that the examples are real. Of people that didn't always get it right. Of people that weren't always perfect. But they failed like we do. They struggle like we do. But yet they came to a place in their life where they matured in faith. 
where they walked in faith, where they worshipped in faith, where they had works of faith, and as we see with Abraham and Sarah, where they were willing to wander by faith and wait in faith for your promises, Lord. And we recognize the life of faith is hard. It goes against the life this world tries to push on us. And it really comes back to our relationship with you and how much we really trust you. Are we willing to trust that you know the next step? Are we willing to trust your timing? Are we willing to trust your ability to fulfill what you promise even when it takes a while? And Lord, I just pray for myself and for all of us here, for those watching online, God, that you would help us grow in this type of faith. As we see these examples that your word is putting forth towards us as examples we should follow, Lord, we want to be more like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. Lord, we want to have a faith that encompasses all of those attributes of worship and works, Lord, of wandering and waiting, of walking with you. Lord, that in all those areas of our life, we would be those who live by faith, And Lord, I just pray wherever we're at right now, if we're struggling with doubts, struggling with waiting, struggling with trying to speed things up and help you out, Lord, that you would just speak individually to each person here, wherever we are, to encourage us that through your strength and your power, it is possible for us to step out in faith and trust you, and that you are always faithful. You will never let us down. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, you're really the only one that we can have full confidence to trust in any area of our life. We are grateful for that, but I pray that you would just cement that into our thinking as the enemy loves to lie to us and tell us we can't trust you. Putting faith in you is foolish. But Lord, we know that that's not true. And I pray that we would not just have that intellectually understood, but it would be lived out in the way in which we live life. Let our life be an example like the lives here in Hebrews 11. Let the people that see us, our spouses and our family and our friends and neighbors and coworkers, Lord, let us be an example of faith to them. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The worship team come on up and we'll close in a song of worship. And this Thursday, as I mentioned last Thursday, we're uh, for the summer, we're uh, taking a time to, to watch the Chosen series, which is about the life of Christ. And so we're going to do the, the second episode of season one this Thursday, uh, six o'clock. We're going to have uh, a meal together. We'd love for you guys to come join and have some worship and prayer and uh, just a good time of fellowship. So uh, come on out Thursday at six. It's going to be at the Weldon's house and um, we'll close in the worship.